Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley. They've got an amazing organic super greens product that makes getting your greens super simple and easy. They have 23 organic superfoods in each scoop, each with their own unique benefit for boundless natural energy. And their powder is really in a class of its own. You see, most greens products contain cereal grasses and certain proteins that can cause digestive distress and inflammation as well. You see, most of them have things like wheatgrass and barley grass, and those cereal grasses contain a lectin called wheat germ agglutinin, or WGA, which is highly inflammatory. Certain experts believe that WGA may be as responsible for the health-damaging effects of wheat as gluten. And many who are gluten-sensitive also have issues with WGA. So Paleo Valley set out to produce the best, highest quality organic super greens powder without the cereal grasses. And they use only the finest, most bioavailable superfoods, helping your body absorb those valuable vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and enzymes found in each delicious serving. There's no fillers, no indigestible ingredients, just 23 nutrient-rich organic superfoods full of the nutrients you need for a vibrant, healthy life. And it's so easy. It'll only take you 30 seconds a day. You simply add a scoop to a glass of water or milk or smoothie like coconut milk or making a smoothie or even your favorite baked goods recipe and make your day that much healthier. It's USDA organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, no fillers, no cereal grains. It is low carb, zero added sugars, no sugar alcohols or artificial sweeteners, keto-friendly. You guys are gonna love this stuff. Guys, check it out at paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and use the coupon code jockers, my last name at checkout, to save 15% off your order. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash jockers. Use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. This podcast is a recording of an interview that I did with Dr. Roger Murphy from yourfibrodoc.com. Dr. Murphy is an amazing functional medicine leader, and he is putting on a super healthy lung summit that's coming up later this fall. And he interviewed me on the best advanced nutrition strategies to support healthy lungs. So we talk a lot about blood sugar stability and balancing blood sugar. We talk about cytokines and cytokine storm, which you may have heard about with the recent pandemic. Uh, you know, obviously people that were had had worsening responses to the virus had something called a cytokine storm that really damaged and inflamed their lung tissue. And so we talk about that. We talk about strategies to help turn off the cytokine storm, to help balance the immune system. You guys are going to get so much out of this. And if you have not left us a five-star review, now is the time to do that. Just go to Apple iTunes, scroll down, and you'll see where it says reviews. Leave a review and also leave a note there. I always love reading those. 
Thanks so much for doing that, guys. Thank you for being a part of our community, and let's go into the show. Hi, this is Dr. Roger Murphy, your host of the Super Healthy Lungs Summit. Delighted that you're going to be joining us today, and I want to welcome Dr. David Jockers. Dr. Jockers is a chiropractic physician, a friend and colleague of mine. He's got an incredible website and podcast. His podcast is Dr. Jockers' Functional Nutrition Podcast, and he's the author of two best-selling books, Keto Metabolic Breakthrough and Fasting Transformation. Today, we're going to be talking all about inflammation and the role that it plays in creating unwanted health conditions. In particular, we're looking at some of the things that uh, are driving respiratory inflammation. So, David, hey, good to see you again. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome yeah, to, absolutely. The, uh, to the summit. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much, Dr. Roger. I always appreciate our conversations and just the wealth of knowledge that you are and the great information that you're putting out for the public. Appreciate it so much. Well, listen, let's just start with the basics because I think people, I think people get a little jaded. They hear inflammation. They think, yeah, inflammation. But what is inflammation exactly? The good and the bad, right? Yeah, inflammation is really an adaptive survival response that helps our body to heal. It helps us to reduce infections. And um, basically, it's just part of kind of a natural process to keep our body functioning at its best. See, we, we know that infections, systemic infections or infections that get into our blood and spread throughout our blood, get into our lungs and into our brain and nervous system. These are, are things that have killed more people throughout the history of mankind than anything else. You see our ancestors when, you know, they got injured trying to hunt or trying to, you know, pr procure food, or let's say they were, you know, in a, in a battle or something like that. And they got a, you know, a spear to the in their arm, they typically didn't die from the actual wound. They died from an infection that occurred from the flesh wound that got into their blood, spread into their lungs, gave them pneumonia, spread into their brain, gave them meningitis or something like that, and they would die. And so our body is hardwired for survival. So because this was the number one cause of death, the body adapted and created this really powerful inflammatory process. And inflammation's job is to make sure infections don't kill you. And on top of that, uh, it also helps to break down damaged tissue, which initiates you know, the healing process because your body's got to replace that damaged tissue with good, healthy tissue. And this is why you know, when you sprain your ankle, you get inflammation, your ankle gets swollen. This is all part of the body trying to make sure that no infection gets in there because you know, if you have some sort of a trauma, even though there's not an actual flesh wound, the body associates that with a possible flesh wound. So it makes sure no infection gets in. And on top of that, it's breaking down damaged cells. So that way that we can replace them and bring in new, young, healthy, you know, embryonic tissue, right? New, young, I should say just uh, young stem cells in there that are strong, that are stress resilient and, uh, and can, can create a newer, newer, healthier ligaments, joint capsule. So the ankle can really function at its best. And so the problem though is in our society, we have an issue with chronic inflammation where you know inflammation is supposed to be short-term, part of this healing process, making sure infections don't get in and kill us, making sure that we're, we're healing, and then it should shut off. And the issue we're dealing with is that inflammatory process is not shutting off. And there are a number of reasons why that is. Well, so people I think are, are, are they know about you sprain your ankle and you get swelling and that's the inflammation. You cut your finger, you swells up, you get inflammation. But trauma is just one of the things that can initiate 
this inflammation process, as you mentioned a few of them, but uh, food allergies, mast cell activation syndrome. So share some of the different things out there that can trigger this inflammatory reaction. As you, as you mentioned, it should be an acute response, but when it goes into a, a, a chronic uh, issue, that's when we really have some problems that can show up, right? For sure. Well, you know, chemical irritants are a really big one, especially when we start talking about the lungs, because the lungs are one of the main ways that we're taking in uh, different toxins and irritants. So, you know, in our house, the EPA says, you know, your indoor home is like a thousand times more toxic than outside. And we typically think of air pollution. We think about it outside. But for most people, actually inside your house, you've got, you know, uh, for example, you've got, um, you know, different chemicals coming out of your rugs, formaldehyde, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, different things that help prevent, I can't remember what they're called, um, help prevent fires, right? So they're, they're fire retardants is what they're called, coming out of your, uh, your couches and different things like that. So you've got these kind of chemicals and then you've also got dust, right? Some people are re really uh, sensitive to dust, for example, and it can cause more issues, mycotoxins, molds, which I'm sure you've got other people talking about mold and mycotoxins as a significant factor as well. Um, you've got polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, you know, for when, even when you're cooking, right? We're noticing that. Or if you've got like a smoker in your house or you're around somebody that's smoking, they're putting this out. Uh, if you live in an area where there's a lot of industry, right? They're putting out a lot of this smoke, these polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which irritate the lung tissue and drive up inflammation. So we got to think about toxins. You know, that's a major one. Infections are another really, really yeah. big one. So we can have stealth infections. So oftentimes when we have an infection, we feel really bad, right? We have the flu or something like that, or we have stomach flu, we have uh, diarrhea, you know, whatever it is. So that's kind of the acute phase of an infection. But for a lot of people, they've got these underlying stealth infections that are just kind of wearing their system down and they could be coming from their mouth. They might have, um, you know, underlying gingivitis, or they could have root canals that are harboring um, infections, right, that are seeping into the bloodstream and causing more problems there. They could have a virus that's kind of laying low, and it's kind of under the radar, but it's driving up some immune activity as the immune system's trying to hunt it out and regulate it. Um, they could have bacterial infections, they could have gut infections, they could have things like Lyme disease, uh, which is a systemic blood uh, bacterial infection in their system. And so the infections are another big factor. Another one is bad food, right? Just eating bad food is going to cause more inflammation in the system. So processed foods, foods that we're sensitive to foods that are not, um, rich in nutrients that are not supportive for our body. So bad diet, insulin resistance and blood sugar imbalances are a really, really big, big one. one. So yeah. in our society, most people are eating hyper palatable foods and these foods tend to have a lot of carbohydrates in them. And these carbohydrates throw off the blood sugar. This is why we want to really tailor in the diet to bring inflammation down. It's a big factor. And when we're eating bad foods and we've got infections, we're exposed to toxins, it damages our gut lining. And, you know, when we damage our gut, every time we eat food, uh, the gut itself is, is leaky or permeable. And now undigested food particles are seeping into the blood, bacteria, fungus, um, you know, different, different, uh, pathogens, parasites can all seep into our bloodstream and drive up inflammation because the body, again, it's hypersensitive to any sort of abnormal proteins, right? When it senses abnormal proteins and those proteins could be bacteria, they could be parasites. They could be, uh, fungus. 
but they also could be undigested food particles. And when it senses that, it says, okay, wow, this is a threat to my survival. I've got to drive up inflammation. And so now inflammation goes way up and that can damage all different parts of the body, including the lungs. And some people are more susceptible to damage in the lungs uh, when, it, when inflammation drives up. And for these individuals with leaky gut, until they get that healed, every single time they eat for you know anywhere from one to six hours after they eat, they are driving up, ramping up inflammation in their system. And so every time they eat, they're just driving up this inflammatory storm and causing more and more collateral damage, tissue damage throughout their body. And so that's a major factor here. So those are the major causes. And of course, you know, we can talk about chronic stress, which is a big factor, poor sleep. So ultimately we need to balance out um, you know, our stress and our recovery, right? So stress is normal. We should be able to adapt to stress and really thrive in life, but we've got to spend a lot of time in recovery. We've got to spend time, not in fight or flight, but most of our time we should be in a state of rest, relaxation, uh, creative thinking, things like that, and and less reactive, less, um, you know, in a survival mode where our heart rate is up, where we're producing a lot of glucocorticoid hormones like cortisol and epinephrine that drive up our blood sugar. You know, those hormones also cause laxity in our gut, right? And so they're going to predispose us to leaky gut. They're going to end up, we're going to end up causing more inflammation in the system. So we've got to keep, we've got to keep good balance there between stress and recovery. That's a key factor while we minimize our exposure to toxins, um, keep infections under control, really support our immune system, reduce infections in our gut and throughout our body and uh, eat the right foods, right? Keep our blood sugar stable. And there's many different strategies we can do for that. And uh, if we do those things, we're going to give ourselves the best chance to heal and thrive on a regular basis. So, you know, most doctors, if they're if they're honest, they'll say that the two main drivers of unwanted health conditions are stress, number one, probably, but certainly right there next to that would be inflammation. And it's obvious. I mean, you know, you hear you share these different things, these different triggers that can create inflammation that gets out of control. I mean, it's just about anything that the body takes in and tries to process that and interprets it as a foreign invader. So it's no wonder that we have such a a challenge with so many individuals having inflammation. Everybody's walking around has got inflammation, right? I mean, you may not be in the doctor's office today or the hospital, but no matter what, you've probably got some inflammation somewhere that's driving some, are about to create some unwanted health problems. Well, you've done so much work, as I mentioned, with your books, uh, the, the fasting and the, um, and the keto diet. I mean, you've really looked in detail. You're one of the experts on this about how diet uh, can trigger inflammation and how you can really dial that back mm. by just changing the amount of carbohydrates and starches and, and, and really just the amount of food that you t- intake on a daily basis. Can you share a little bit about that for, to, with us? Yeah, absolutely. So most people, again, are are stuck in sugar burning mode. So they are eating foods that are tend to be higher in carbohydrates. And it's very hard for them to go more than four or five hours unless they're sleeping without eating. And so if you're waking up in the morning, you're starving, you eat breakfast, and then a few hours later, you need to eat again. And there's kind of this continual cycle and this continual process of, of craving food and eating, and you're eating four or five meals a day, you are stuck in a metabolically inflexible state where you're really relying on sugar as your main fuel source and your body's very poor at burning fat 
as a good energy source. And we really want to be very good at burning fat as an energy source because it's a very clean fuel. When we burn sugar as a fuel source, we call it a dirty fuel because it produces a lot of oxidative stress. And oxidative stress, the more that we produce, the more we drive up inflammation. Right. In fact, more oxidative stress we produce from metabolism, just from you know creating energy, that actually triggers something called the inflammasome, the NLRP3 uh, inflammasome, which is like an inflammation amplifier in the body. In fact, when we think about you know, issues with the lungs, right? We talk about, you know, like, for example, in COVID, one of the common things was the cytokine storm. And, right. you know, we can come back and talk more about that. But, yeah. you know, this is kind of this amplification of inflammation that damages major tissues. And one of the ways that we drive that is creating a lot of oxidative stress through the foods that we're consuming. So if we're stuck in sugar burning mode, we are driving up oxidative stress and inflammation in our body, and we can't burn fat as an effective fuel source. When we switch, and I'll, I'll talk about how we can do that with the diet, but when we get our body good at burning fat, we produce a lot less oxidative stress. We also really trigger our satiety levels where we're satiated between meals because all of us have a lot of body fat on us. Like we have plenty of energy source. I, I'm 8% body fat. So everyone does, but you, you don't have any body I'm fat. I'm very, you very know. lean. You can, you can see my six pack, my striations, <laughs> but you know, I can still go a long period of time without eating and actually be quite satiated. Yeah. In fact, every single week, I actually do a 24 hour fast where I go all day. Right. And I don't feel hungry during that period of time because my body is very good at taking the body fat that it does have and using it as an energy source. Yeah. And when we do that, particularly if we're going a longer period of time between meals, our body has to create something called ketones. And ketones are these water-soluble, they're kind of a little bit smaller than fat, and they're water-soluble, and they're able to cross through the blood-brain barrier. Long, our fatty acids themselves are a great fuel source for our muscles, for a lot of our major organs, our heart. However, we can't, we can't get them across the blood-brain barrier, at least not in sufficient quantities to really provide a good fuel source for the brain. So if your blood sugar is going down because you haven't eaten anything in a while, your body has to be able to get fuel into the brain. So it ends up creating these ketones and the ketones get into the brain and they are an amazing fuel source for the brain. And they also do something called mitochondrial uncoupling, where they actually help stimulate more mitochondria to be, to be produced in your cells. And your mitochondria are, not only do they produce the energy within your cells, but they're also kind of a, a sensory, they're, they're a, uh, they sense how the, the body, how the environment is, is, you know, basically they help us adapt to our environment. And the more mitochondria that we have, the more well-functioning mitochondria we have, the better energy we're going to have, the better mental clarity we're going to have, the better we're going to be able to function, the slower we're going to age. And so ketones have this mitochondrial biogenesis effect where we end up creating more and more mitochondria because the body says, wow, I need to be really, really efficient and really good at producing the right amount of energy because I'm going through periods of time where food might be scarce. And so this is a really great adaptive response that enhances our ability to thrive. And so we want to get our body in a state of ketosis from time to time where these ketones are elevated. The other thing about ketones is they actually shut down the inflammasome. We talked about how the inflammasome, uh, it, it accelerates inflammation in our body, right? It drives it way up. And so we actually inhibit and suppress it when we have ketones elevated in our bloodstream. So intermittent fasting or fasting along with a diet that kind of mimics the effects of fasting. And so 
the ketogenic diet came about because, you know, we, we had kids with epilepsy and these kids really responded poorly to blood sugar imbalances and they would end up having major seizures. And so a ketogenic diet is almost like a fasting and almost mimics the effects of fasting where we eat food, but it's food that doesn't trigger much blood sugar or insulin response because it's high in fats and also it has protein in it. Fats and protein, most proteins are not gonna trigger an insulin effect. They're not insulogenic, whereas the carbohydrates are. So that sort of a diet we get a lot of the benefits of fasting, even though we're eating food when we're doing that. Okay. And it really helps create more insulin sensitivity, reduces inflammation and teaches our body to be better at burning fat for fuel. So what I recommend for people when we're trying to reduce inflammation with diet is we start to reduce carbohydrates. And in my keto metabolic breakthrough book, I talk about kind of a gradual reduction. You know, the average American, uh, is consuming somewhere between 300 to 400 grams of, um, you know, net carbs, basically starch Crazy. or sugar Crazy. every single day. Right. Wow. And so that's a lot, wow. right. I mean, you think about it, like people are drinking, you know, a Coke, which has, I mean, easy 50 grams right there. Right. And so they're, they're consuming a very high carbohydrate diet. And if we were to just come off of that, those high, that high carb diet, all of a sudden, like overnight and drop it to 50 grams of net carbs or less in one day, that could be, you know, you could have a lot of withdrawal symptoms. Sugar is a drug, right? I mean, it really is. It's highly addictive. And when we come off of it quickly like that, we can end up with a lot of hypoglycemic like responses because our body takes some time to develop the metabolic machinery to burn fat effectively for fuel and to produce ketones and utilize them, get them across the blood brain barrier and use them as an energy source. So in my book, I talk about kind of a gradual reduction, taking like 50 grams out a week, kind of gradually reducing, you know, getting it down over a period of time down to, you know, roughly 50 grams of, of starch or sugar a day or less, right? In some cases, we're, we're going to try to get that down to 10 or 20 grams of starch or sugar a day um, in order to really drive these metabolic responses and this adaptation so your body gets good at burning fat for fuel. And along the way, we're also going to um, condense your eating window. So instead of eating from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you know, we might start by uh, eating your meals in like a 12 or 14, or I should say uh, in a 10 to 12 hour eating window and fasting for 12 to 14 hours overnight. And that's pretty easy to do, right? Yeah. This is kind of a good, easy first step for somebody is to, you know, if you finish your dinner at 7 p.m., don't eat anything else with calories, you know, until you go to bed, nothing with calories. You wake up the next morning, you start your day, you drink 16 ounces of water before you even think about food. And by doing that, that will actually suppress your hunger and allow you to fast pretty easily for like a good 14 hour. You, you probably won't feel hunger till about 9 a.m. just by doing that alone, right? Yeah. And then you eat your meals in let's say like a 10 hour eating window and you don't snack. You eat three meals, high protein meals. I, I recommend somewhere between 30 to maybe 50 grams of protein a meal, depending on your body size, depending on you know if you're lifting weights, your activity level. For most people, if you're not real active, you know about 30 grams of protein in a meal is great. Okay. If you are very active, you're an athlete or you're lifting weights or something like that, very active, uh, then you might go up to 40 or 50 grams and you're just doing three meals, right? So breakfast, lunch, and dinner 
in that 10 hour eating window, right? You do that for a few days. And what you'll notice is that you're actually quite satiated, right? You're eating that protein. I also should say you should eat about 30 grams of fat in each of those meals, right? So 30, maybe even 40 grams of fat, depending on, again, your appetite level, your activity level, right? The more active you are, the more calories you're probably going to need. So you might go up a little bit more, but for the average individual, roughly about 30 grams of fat and about 30 grams of protein. And then you're focusing on non-starchy vegetables, uh, your dark green leafies, your cruciferous vegetables, cucumbers, celery, things like that. And lower glycemic fruit, like berries, you know, you don't want to do a ton of fruit, but maybe like, you know, quarter, half cup of fruit in a meal, totally fine if you want to do that. Um, and so that way you're getting all these great nutrients in the vegetables, you're getting fiber, um, you're getting polyphenols in the, the, the fruit and the vegetables, and then you're getting the protein and the fat, which will create the, the blood sugar stability and the satiety levels. So you're not hungry between meals. And then you're doing three meals a day in a 10 hour window. And then what you're going to notice is that you're just satiated and it's easier to fast longer. And when we really want to drive down inflammation, we want to get that fasting window to roughly to roughly 16 to 18 hours, right? Meaning that let's say you finish dinner at 7 PM, you're not eating anything until let's say somewhere between 11 and one the next day. So you're getting a good 16 to 18 hour fast on a regular basis. There are certain demographics like young menstruating females who are very active, maybe they're exercising regularly and they're already thin and they're stressed. They have a family or they have a career or something like that where we may not want to do that every day. Okay. That, that demographic, sometimes we'll do two or three days a week where we do a fast like that and uh, just not doing it every single day until their body really adapts. Or I should say, unless they really feel good doing it every day, not everybody's going to adapt to that. So for that demographic, um, if you're listening, you know, there are modifications. Don't just throw out fasting because maybe you didn't have a great experience. There are ways that we can do this to where you're getting the anti-inflammatory benefits of fasting. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you may not do it every single day. So, but for the average individual that's overweight, that really wants to reduce inflammation, perhaps they're dealing with something like asthma or COPD or something like that. This can be really powerful yeah. for driving down inflammation. In fact, interestingly, you know, one of the things I try to do is get the person to where they are metabolically flexible, good at burning fat to the point where they can do a 20 to 24 hour fast one day a week. So one day a week, you fast from, let's say, lunch to lunch the next day or dinner to dinner the next day, roughly about 24 hours uh, of fasting. And there's actually an interesting study. It was a pilot study in the Journal of Immunology in 2018 where they showed that they took uh, asthmatic individuals, 24-hour fast, and they showed it significantly blunted that NLRP3 inflammasome and helped balance their Th1 and Th2 immune response, drove down these inflammatory cytokines, things like interleukin-6, um, interleukin-17. They saw significant reduction in all these inflammatory molecules from doing this 24-hour fast. So this is something I really like to put in once a week. but you don't just do that all of a sudden. It's just something we, we lean into while we get our diet under control, improve the metabolic flexibility of the body by reducing the carbohydrates, increasing the protein and the fats in the diet, and slowly compressing that eating window. Once you get to the point where you're able to, do, where you're able to eat your meals in a six to eight hour eating window and you feel good, 
At that point, you're ready to try to implement that 20 to 24 hour fast one day a week. Yeah. And on that day, you drink a lot of water, you hydrate your body well, you can drink herbal teas, you can drink black coffee, keep yourself pretty busy that most people, if they just stay busy, they're hydrated well, they feel fine. And actually it's quite easy to do. I also recommend getting some movement, going out, walking, um, getting time in nature, things like that, all really, really healthy and really conducive to uh, having a good experience with that fast. And if this is something that you can implement as a lifestyle, where when you eat your meals, you're focusing on the foods I talked about, right? Getting a lot of the green leafies, getting the um, the berries in, right? The, the uh, low glycemic fruit that's nutrient dense, and then 30 to 40 grams of protein per meal, 30 to 40 grams of fat per meal. Um, following that diet and compressing that eating window, you are going to significantly reduce inflammation just by doing those things alone and really give your, your body a great chance to heal and a great chance to thrive. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment and tell you about my new book, The Fasting Transformation. I am so excited about this book. It is a functional guide to help you burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. Fasting is the most ancient form of natural medicine. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting improves your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in your body, optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and helps activate stem cells and deep cellular healing. Guys, you're gonna learn so much from this book. You can check it out, The Fasting Transformation on Amazon or on our webpage, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. So check that out now. You guys are going to love the book. And if you have a chance, leave a review on Amazon. Thanks so much. It's interesting that you brought up that study because I was going to ask you if you've seen in your practice a difference in the individuals who fast. I know you talk a little bit about it in your book, in the fasting book. I'm not sure about the keto book, but I know personally seeing uh, some of my patients who have asthma, what I've seen is Yes, in the beginning, it's hard to go 10 hours without eating. You know, it is, but it's something you can do. And along with finding and then eliminating their food allergies and leaky gut, the other uh, thing I always want to encourage them to do is start this process of fasting and I often recommend your book to do this. But what I see across the board is that the patients that do this, whether that's an adolescent with asthma or an adult with asthma, they see that they get dramatic improvement just by these, you know, fasting, eliminating foods that they find they're allergic to, maybe cleaning up their gut with the leaky gut. But it can be, it can be really dramatic results, just changing their diet, just when they eat or don't eat, right? I mean, it's it can oh, be yeah. very dramatic. So I want to encourage you, yeah. uh, you know, learn more about this fasting. I think um, I think that it can pay huge dividends whether you whether you have asthma or any type of breathing issue or any kind of health issue at all. It is a way to really quickly reduce the inflammation in your body. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Roger. I mean, you and I are huge fans of a very clean diet, trying to reduce the amount of toxins coming in like pesticides and herbicides and really maximizing nutrients. So you want the most nutrient dense foods, grass fed, organic products, organic fruits and vegetables, right? Getting rid of bad fats like seed oils, sunflower, cotton seed, yeah. uh, peanut, canola oil, all these things really drive up inflammation, trying to reduce sugars, things like that. Doing that will, will create amazing benefits for you. The fasting studies, interestingly, 
all they're doing is fasting people. They're, they're, there's no real diet change, but they're showing that you can eat the same inflammatory foods, but compress your eating window and you'll see significant reductions in inflammation. So if you couple those two things together, which really we don't, we haven't studied that. We haven't studied, okay, what if you follow this sort of really clean organic diet that reduces food sensitivities, that really focuses on maximal nutrient density, uh, proteins, fats, and the ratios I talked about, and do the fasting, how that synergizes and you get even better benefits. So we don't have, you know, the, the PubMed research on that, but, you know, just seeing a lot of, you know, case studies, there's so many people that, you know, yeah. all around the world that are getting significant improvements yeah. in all different types of health conditions by coupling those two things together. Well, I, you mentioned it, but uh, with asthma, it's, it's largely driven by TH2 dominance. And mm -hmm. one of the things when we, we, we know that uh, the fasting and keto diet, both of those can help to balance, as you mentioned, balance out TH1, TH2. Well, you mentioned, uh, well, before we go into, I want to talk a little bit about cytokines and a little bit about COVID, but you mentioned um, some of the symptoms that we might see with inflammation, but they're really varied, right? Along with, you know, obviously wheezing and air hunger, things that would affect the lungs, but you could also break out in a rash. You can um, have brain fog. You can have, it can trigger, uh, obviously can trigger um, diffuse achy pain, joint pain, nerve pain. All sorts of different things can be triggered by this inflammatory process, right? Oh, absolutely, right? So, you know, some of those major symptoms of lung issues, like you talked about, wheezing, uh, coughing, um, you know, just frequent colds and flus, frequent colds and fevers and things like that. I mean, you know, that the lungs are actually a key part of, they're kind of part of the barrier system, right? They help filter out infections. They help filter out um, toxins that are coming in. And so if we are frequently getting ill, could be a sign of break of breakdown in, uh, in kind of the um, barrier system in the lungs, the epithelial linings of the, of the lungs, that can be, a, a, you know, a common issue there. Um, you know, so all of those types of things, chest tightness can be an issue, sleep apnea, right? We see that often fatigue in general, brain fog. So these are all common symptoms that are associated with inflammation affecting the lungs. And, you know, really almost anything that's affecting the lungs is also affecting the cardiovascular system in general, because those are, you know, they really work together for gas exchange and getting oxygen into uh, all the cells of the body. And so when there's inflammation in the lungs, we have to think there's inflammation in the arterial linings and the capillary beds in the circulatory system as well. We don't typically feel inflammation in our blood vessels. It's not something we usually feel uh, until it's too late, but uh, you know, that that's kind of the silent killer, right? Along the way, we can develop things like high blood pressure. High blood pressure is, you know, a common issue with lung issues, pulmonary hypo, hypertension, um, where there's, you know, basically damage to the blood vessels and pressure buildup in kind of the, the blood vessels leading from the, uh, the lungs into the heart, right? And, uh, and, and back and forth, that, that gas exchange. And so hypertension is another major factor that we see. Um, increased risk of stroke. People that have uh, damage to the epithelial lining of the lungs also have an increased risk of cerebrovascular disease and, and stroke. They also have an increased risk in dementia, right? Yeah. Not getting enough oxygen up into the brain. They have, you know, obviously if somebody's got a lot of lung issues, they have larger amount of widespread inflammation. So that can affect obviously the brain as well. So dementia, Alzheimer's, all, all of our neurodegenerative conditions too. 
so interesting. You mentioned cardio, the link between the lungs and cardiovascular disease, which I, definitely there is. But but it just triggered me to I wanted to ask you this about obesity. So that you know this belly fat that people have, this visceral yellow fat that's unhealthy, people would associate that as you know just a bunch of you know a bunch of fat. But really, it's yeah. an organ. I mean, it's it's yeah. releasing inflammatory chemicals that can drive up the inflammation throughout the body. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Just about yeah. the risk there? Yeah. For sure. Well, visceral fat is an endocrine organ, meaning that, I mean, fat in general, we used to think it was just an energy, you know, storage, a form of energy storage, right? Which it obviously is. But at the same time, the more fat we have, these the fat cells themselves are going to release cytokines. They're going to release, um, you know, different immune immunological cells, right? That, that drive up inflammation in the body. And so the more visceral fat, which is the kind of fat that wraps around our organ systems, the more inflammation we have, uh, systemic inflammation and greater risk of all-cause mortality, right? So definitely a significant factor. And the reason why we have visceral fat is because our body is not good at burning fat. Um, we are not good at burning our own you know, body fat. And so we've got to turn on the fat burning switch. And the way that we do that again is getting the blood sugar under control, getting insulin under control. When insulin's elevated, we can't burn fat. And the way we elevate insulin is, you know, typically through just bad diet, right? So eating foods that we're sensitive to or allergic to, and then eating foods that are high, that raise up our blood sugar, right? And those things are going to cause more insulin. And when insulin gets over a certain threshold and stays up, then we can't burn fat for fuel. And this is what's great about fasting is it brings down insulin, right? So it brings down insulin. Our body gets more insulin sensitive, where when insulin is released, our cells respond more effectively to it. We're able to burn fat for fuel more effectively. And so, um, yeah, turning on the fat burning switch to help burn up that visceral fat is super, super critical here. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, this term cytokines. You mentioned these proteins, yeah. that, you know, tumor necrosis factor, some of these other things, interleukin. Can you explain a little bit more what a cytokine is and uh, talk a little bit about what is a cytokine storm that people have heard about associated with COVID? Yeah, well, cytokines are little immune proteins, and the actual term cyto is cell, and and cytokines, kinds is for movement. So it's basically you know these little immune messengers that are moving in and throughout our our, our bloodstream, and they are kind of sensing the environment and triggering inflammatory activity, right? So they're sensing and triggering macrophages and other immune cells to activate. And um, when we have a cytokine storm, so it's normal to have some level of cytokines, but with a cytokine storm, we get over activation of the immune system. And, you know, there's a lot of talk in the natural health world about boosting your immune system, but I'm really a fan of balancing your immune yeah. system because your immune system can be overly boosted and be way overactive and be attacking not only you know infectious microbes but really causing a lot of damage to our own natural our own tissue right so a lot of collateral damage and we saw this for example with covid people that don't respond well they had a hyperactive immune response right so there's really like kind of two things there's some people that have an underactive immune response and so the virus is able to kind of easily penetrate into cells and then, you know, it's able to really uh, cause a lot of damage to the cells and then the immune system responds. And then there's other people that were hyperactive. And as the virus started getting in, 
they started overreacting. And these are the people that didn't respond well, people with more balance to their immune system. The infection really caused, you know, very little symptoms, right? They, they're, they're very mild exposure or very mild symptoms along the way. Some people didn't even know, some people were completely asymptomatic. And so the people that were under or over responding, um, those are the people that ended up in the hospital oftentimes, ended up with significant issues. And oftentimes they ended up with, with uh, you know, long hauler syndrome because they had so much collateral damage from this sort of cytokine storm. And really when COVID killed people, it wasn't actually the virus that killed them. Viruses themselves don't actually want to kill their host because they need living cells in order to replicate. However, what happens is when you have this sort of cytokine storm, there's so much immunological activity that's damaging the epithelial lining of the lungs, which is kind of this very sensitive lining, damaging the alveoli, causing damage in the little septum in the alveoli, and now the alveoli, which are kind of where you get this this oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange, this gas exchange, they become dysfunctional. And that lining breaks down, the, the, the entire kind of protective mechanism of the lung breaks down this, this sort of barrier. And now you have bacteria. So not only are you getting poor gas exchange, but you also have a breakdown in the actual barrier that protects the lung tissue from, um, from getting a bacterial infection. Now, bacteria are able to seep in and bacteria, unlike viruses, viruses just want to replicate inside of a host cell, right? They want to replicate and they want, that's kind of how they propagate and survive. They, their job is in a sense, um, throughout the history of mankind, their job has been to create genetic shifts, right? Create epigenetic, they're kind of an epigenetic modulator that creates shifts in the way that we express our genetics. Now, bacteria, their job is to break down decaying matter. If we don't have bacteria, you know, dead bodies don't break down, right? You know, bacteria will break down food. If you have a compost or something like that, they're breaking that down, creating soil, right? So we need bacteria to break down decaying matter. What we want to do is not be decaying matter. And when we start to break down our barrier systems, the bacteria come in and now they start breaking down the decaying matter, creating uh, pneumonia, right? And ultimately, you know, that that can obviously kill somebody. And so it's kind of the co-infection because we had this hyper-responsive immune response that damaged the barrier. Now the bacteria get in, right? And they just eat up the lung tissue and we end up, you know, in a really bad place. And so um, ultimately the cytokine storm, we've got to get that under control. And there's a lot of research that shows, you know, we talked about fasting and good nutrition. Well, there's tons of research out that has showed that optimal vitamin D levels, for example, help create balance in your immune response and help prevent against the cytokine storm. Cytokine storm is actually trying to protect you. It's trying to save your life. However, it's like, you know, a a bunch of police officers running out into a city blindfolded, right? They can't see, they're chasing a bad guy, but they can't see, right? And so they're shooting all over the place, causing a lot of collateral damage. That's kind of what happens when we have vitamin D deficiency, when we have insulin resistance, Right? These are things that are blinding our immune response. And so now we end up over-responding, creating this sort of hyper-inflammation, damaging those barriers and creating an environment that's ripe for uh, the bacteria to get in and, 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 and kill us. And this is also why a lot of older people in nursing homes and things like that, 
that are vitamin D deficient, right? Most people in elderly homes are very deficient in vitamin D. Most of them are insulin resistant. Most of them have a whole bunch of older senescent immune cells. These older immune cells, and this is what happens also with insulin resistance is we're not able to turn over and get rid of bad cells. And so we end up with these senescent or aged immune cells that are just sputtering out inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-6. That's one of the most well-studied one, interleukin-17, another one. And they're not producing the um, the anti-inflammatory cytokines like interferon alpha and interferon beta. These are more anti-inflammatory. So the senescent cells lose the ability to produce these anti-inflammatory compounds, and they're just spilling out uh, inflammatory compounds. And this is why a lot of these people end up dying from you know, pneumonia and stuff like that. They end up, you know, pneumonia kills, I don't know what is like 150,000 people a year in nurse, you know, nursing homes. Typically it's elderly individuals, right? When people, you know, they talk about statistics like 30 or 40,000 people dying of the flu every year, 99% of that is people that are very elderly, you know, insulin resistant, tons of senescent immune cells, right? Very vitamin D deficient, nutrient deficient across the board, zinc deficient, and uh, you know they end up not being able to control their immune response, and they end up with these, um, you know, th- this sort of infection that ends up killing them. So it's interesting. I want to point this out that, uh, and I think it's been pointed out on the summit. And I can't remember the stats, but they're startling. But the majority of the people who go on develop, um, who are hospitalized and then ventilated, something like ninety-five percent of them have metabolic syndrome. So they're carrying around too much fat. As you know, we talked yeah. about this unhealthy visceral fat, they've already got inflammation that's going on anyway. And the majority of people who are at risk for long haul COVID now, we're seeing also same thing. It's having this metabolic syndrome where you've got this extra layer of fat um, that can scar, you've already got inflammation going on anyway. Uh, Well, you mentioned vitamin D, and I think it's important to point out that I really believe everybody should be supplementing with vitamin D. I don't care if you're in Birmingham, Alabama, it's a sunny day. Um, I remember early on when this research was coming out about vitamin D, I thought, well, my patients in Florida is not going to be a problem. My patients, um, you know, in Georgia or Alabama, they're getting plenty of sun. But I'm sure like you, I'm sure you, you found the same thing as you go to test them and you see that they're deficient in vitamin D. So I really believe people should be supplementing. Now, along with vitamin D3, what are some of the other supplements as we wrap up that you recommend as a preventative, both for viral infections, upper respiratory infections, uh, of course, COVID, but but also yeah. just in general to, to tone down that inflammation that's probably already there for most people? Yeah, some of the best things for reducing inflammation in general, omega-3 fatty acids can be really helpful, particularly long-chain omega-3s, EPA and DHA very powerful anti-inflammatory compounds. They really help provide stability to the cells and allow us to have better hormone sensitivity. And they work on something called prostaglandins, right? Prostaglandins are kind of like intracellular messengers that can tell a cell to kind of ramp up inflammation or not. And so they help to balance that. And most people are very deficient in omega-3 fats because they're eating a lot of these processed vegetable oils, which we find in all of our um, processed foods and a lot of condiments like salad dressings, things like that. They're eating a lot of meat that ate a lot of, you know, the animal ate a lot of corn and soy. And so they ended up with more omega-6 in their, 
in their fat and in their uh, various cells. And so um, for those individuals, omega-3s can be really helpful. And they've been shown in many studies to help uh, balance the inflammatory process. So that's a really good one. Probiotics can also be very, very helpful to support the microbiome. And then, you know, there are some things that now have been pretty well studied or fairly well studied for, for COVID, things like zinc. We know zinc shuts down viral replication. Zinc is one of the most powerful antivirals that you can take. So zinc, really important for immune processes. Um, helps regulate the the inflammatory process as well, uh, along with a lot of other things. Really helps balance hormones. Helps to optimize testosterone, progesterone for women, testosterone for men. Um, you know, when people lose their smell, for example, uh, when they have COVID, we know that zinc is really important for senses, right? Like like smell, olfactory sense, and so. Um, that is thought. We don't have really sufficient evidence on that, but it's thought to be that could be a sign of, you know, that zinc deficiency, which would make sense because when we develop a viral infection, we start losing zinc quickly, right? And so supporting that zinc can help prevent against that. Uh, when people are zinc deficient, oftentimes their taste is altered, their smell is altered. So we do have some literature that shows that. Um, and so zinc is super important. I also like quercetin and resveratrol. Both of those are really good. And you think about it, they're on the skin of plants, like quercetin you find in kind of like the skin of red onions, apples, um, elderberries, things like that. And resveratrol we think about as, you know, in the skin, it's polyphenol on the skin of grape, grapes and berries. And so those things that kind of are in the skins of some of these foods also play a really key role with helping kind of barriers, the, the barrier areas of our body, like our gut lining, our lung barrier, um, as well as our skin, right? And our, and our endothelial lining of our blood vessels as well. So the research has shown that quercetin and resveratrol, really good for shutting down cytokine storms, helping support healing and regeneration of the lung barrier, the uh, endothelial lining of the blood vessels, uh, very good for, you know, um, preventing cardiovascular disease, also really good for skin health. Zinc as well, really good for skin health. We also know that quercetin is a zinc ionophore, which helps get zinc into the cells more effectively so it can have that antiviral effect. So it's really good to take that together. I also like N-acetylcysteine, which um, is a glutathione booster. I mean, it's it's cysteine, so it's amino acid. That's the kind of rate-limiting amino acid in the production of glutathione, which is our body's master antioxidant. Um, so it helps upregulate glutathione, which is depleted when we are, you know, under a viral attack or if we're exposed to a lot of toxins or something like that. And it's anti-mucolytic, meaning that, or it's mucolytic, meaning that it helps break down mucus, right? So if we're producing a lot of mucus in our lungs, right, as part of the inflammatory process, that's something that our body does. When we're producing mucus, it's to try to protect these barriers. It's to try to trap things in the barrier. And there's also immune cells in the mucus that help kill pathogens, right? And we're trying to trap toxins and pathogens. And so that's important. We need that mucus, but if it's really thick mucus, clearly it's gonna cause a lot of problems, right? It's gonna cause problems with breathing, coughing. So we want that mucus to be able to move through the system. And so it helps break down kind of the thick, the thickening of that mucus and get it moving more effectively until the body can get more balance and, and, it, and it, it's able to balance out its mucus production, right? If you're overproducing that mucus, it's a sign your body still thinks it's at, thre- it's, it's at risk, right? So we have to get that under balance. All these nutrients will help along with the diet strategies, things like that we talked about, but NAC will help it 
uh, from getting too thick and getting too much congestion in there. So um, N-acetylcysteine, really, really powerful there. Um, along with vitamin D, you know, for, for good vitamin D optimization, I like vitamin A is important and magnesium, super important for um, taking in vitamin D and actually converting it to the active form. So vitamin A, and we find vitamin A in our, a lot of our vitamin D rich foods, right? Things like grass-fed butter, pasture-raised eggs. We find a lot of uh, preformed vitamin A, retinol, right? Um, but you can also take supplemental vitamin A as well to really support that. And vitamin K2, which helps get calcium into the bones, right? When we we have poor calcium metabolism, and that oftentimes happens when we have blood sugar imbalances or when we're deficient in vitamin D, magnesium, and, um, and, and vitamin K2, then we end up with excess calcium, which can lodge into you know, damaged blood vessels and create more plaques in there, right? And so vitamin K2 helps get calcium into the bones along with vitamin D. So that can be really, really helpful as well. Um, vitamin C, right? Great antioxidant that's supportive of the immune system. So that's another great thing, uh, you know, that a lot of people have had benefit with taking that to help support the immune system and keep inflammation under control. So those are going to be the top nutrients that I would recommend. There's other herbs, things like turmeric, ginger, uh, boswellia, which are, you know, powerful herbs that are, have powerful compounds that reduce inflammation in the body. So those are all great. And then also proteolytic enzymes, proteolytic enzymes also have this kind of mucolytic effect right? And you can find, for example, I've got one of my so-called proteo enzymes. They break down the mucus, they break down biofilms, and they also break down circulating proteins. We talked about cytokines as a circulating protein. So proteolytic means it breaks down proteins. So they will actually reduce the amount of cytokines and things like C-reactive protein, right? That's a protein, right? That's an inflammatory protein. So taking proteo enzymes are these proteolytic enzymes on an empty stomach will break down a lot of these inflammatory messengers and reduce the inflammatory process in the body. They'll also help break down scar tissue and help with, uh, with tissue regeneration. So that can also be really helpful. A lot of people have gotten good results taking proteolytic enzymes on an empty stomach too to support their immune system. So all of those things can be really, really beneficial. And uh, you know, ultimately it's like, okay, which one do I take or, or which combination? You know, I recommend working with a practitioner to really help customize that or find, you know, a, an immune support product that might have like a combination of these things in the clinical dosages. And that can be really helpful as well. So all those are good. And I, and I recommend all those. I use those with my patients as a preventative, as a prophylactic, and also in an acute treatment. Um, it, but I think it's important to point out that you and I, the way we practice as functional medicine practitioners, we really want to look at the root causes. So yeah. we really spent a lot of time early on talking about some of these root colleges. So I want to encourage the audience to really think more along that line is you want, you know, the supplements are great. Definitely the diet. You can't, you, you know, you, you are what you eat. You're only as healthy as how healthy you eat. Um, but you want to think kind of like a detective, you know, what is it that's driving this allergic reaction, whether that's, you know, an, an asthma attack or whatever it is that's creating these, these symptoms, and that could be mast cell, it could be mold that you pointed out. There's several things. So don't, don't forget that you want to be thinking, what can I do to clean up my home environment? You mentioned that, uh, whether that's air purifiers, I like the, uh, the air doctor. I know a lot of yeah. doctors recommend that. I think it's a good one. Uh, Austin air. Uh, I really like that one as well. We have both. So um, 
we covered a lot of different things. And I want to encourage everyone to, to check out your books. I think both of them are fantastic. And I think that it's well worth the investment, small investment uh, of time and money to, to go through those books and really clean the amount of information you've put in there based on clinical, the clinical uh, work you've done over the last several years, and then the research that's out there that backs it up. Uh, where can people go? Where do you recommend they go to know more about you, David, and your work? Well, for sure. Uh, I've got a great website, drjockers.com. A lot of good articles. We have a great article on lung health, on lung inflammation, things like that. So you can check that out for more information. And also my podcast, Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, if you enjoy podcasts. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check that out as well. David, this has been great. Wealth of knowledge as always. You've, you've done a wonderful job sharing that and really appreciate you being on the summit. Yep. Thanks again, Roger. Always an honor and a privilege and appreciate all the great work you're doing. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on, or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.